Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Good morning. It's great to be together. It, does it seem a little extra awkward to pass an offering basket when suddenly there's the big gaps between all of the seats? It's like, well, we just expect you to put twice as much in if there's nobody next. You know, that wasn't what Tim said, was it? No, it isn't. Uh, but one of the features of this church is that so much is happening underneath us downstairs with the kids. And it's easy to sort of start to think of this as where real church happens. And the downstairs, well, that's just for the kids. But it's equally important to Jesus. And, and so as we pray together for God to help us as we hear the word, let's also ask his blessing on the half of the church that's downstairs now. Lord, we, we want to learn about you, God. And we're praying the same thing for the kids and all the teachers who are sharing your word downstairs, God. I ask that you would anoint and help me. And I ask that you would anoint and help each of the teachers and helpers who are downstairs, God, that we'd be a people who are shaped and formed by the things that you say, God, because your word is life and it's breath to us. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to us in your precious name. Amen. We're continuing to look at Jesus through the lens of the gospel of Mark, believing and knowing that the more we see Jesus, uh, the more his life comes to us. And I want to draw our attention this morning to the tail end of Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 23, and run up to verse 6 of chapter 3. So um, just dive right in with me. The first verse that we're reading is Mark chapter 2, verse 23, and it says this, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. Do you ever feel like you need a snack in the middle of church too? Right? You know, it's one of the advantages of having your kids by you is that you can kind of dip in and get something and pretend it's for the kids. And so here Jesus and his disciples are walking as they go, and the disciples start to snack on the raw grain from the field they're walking through. And look what happens in the next verse. The next verse says, The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So you have to picture there, there's apparently some entourage tromping through the grain field together because you got Jesus and at least the 12 guys who are following him. And then apparently there's a bunch of other people, some of whom are critics who are just watching for an opportunity to accuse Jesus' disciples of something. You know, hopefully they didn't trample too much of the grain field in the process, but there's this bunch of people there. And when Jesus' disciples start to pluck some of the grain from the field, the Pharisees are like all over that, like flies on jelly. And they're saying, why are they doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? So let's pause here for a moment. What is the big deal with picking and eating a bit of grain when you're going through the field? Well, the problem in their mind was not that the disciples were stealing. I mean, if you climb over somebody's fence and you go up their apple tree, and you start picking their apples, you could be in trouble, especially in Indiana where gun laws are pretty relaxed. And But in Jesus' time, the Old Testament had made provision that poor people could pick the food they needed from other people's fields. It wasn't illegal to pluck with your hand and take something to eat for that day. What crossed the line 
was taking a tool and harvesting more than you might need to eat at that time. No, what the, what the critics were criticizing, the accusation was you're breaking God's rules about working on the Sabbath. So that word, one day, one Sabbath, that's an important piece here. Because God had instituted these Ten Commandments. When he rescued God's people out of Egypt, he said, you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. And here's what it's going to look like as being my people. There's some ways that you need to live. Number one, no other gods beside me. You remember those? Well, number six on the list was this one that shows up in Exodus 20. And it says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you're supposed, you will labor and you'll do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on that day, you're going to do no work. And so the religious leaders of Jesus' time had developed a pretty elaborate system of rules and criteria by which you could grade and score whether some activity was or wasn't work and was it allowed or not. So if you picked up some food from your plate and brought it to your mouth, that wasn't considered work. You could do that. But if you were harvesting and picking the work, that was like qualifying as cooking and harvesting. And that was defined as work. So what's going on is a religious technicality is being used to accuse Jesus and his disciples of breaking God's law. What's really at stake in this passage isn't so much about whether they're working or not. It's about Jesus's own authority. And so Jesus answers the accusation in those terms. The next verse, verse 25, says it this way. He answered, have you never read? Meaning, don't you remember where in the Bible it talks about this? He's pointing them back to a different place in the scriptures. He says, have you never read what David did? Now, David had become the king that the Jewish people regarded as God's best king for them. And what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need. In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And verse 27 says, And then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. It's about Jesus' authority, not about the rules. Because Mark has been showing throughout his gospel that Jesus has authority. He has authority over demonic spirits to set people free. Jesus has authority over sickness, and he brings healing. Jesus has authority over all of the power of nature, and he calms the storm. Jesus has authority to forgive sins, And we see here that Jesus claims to have authority even over the creation laws and rules of God. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus is the Lord of rest. Jesus said, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus is the Lord not only of all of our doing." but he's the Lord of our resting. Jesus is the Lord, not only of our working and all the things we try to accomplish and the things that we try to do for God. Jesus is the Lord 
those times where we're doing nothing, where we seem to have nothing to offer, and where there's nothing that we can add to what God's already done. Jesus is the Lord of rest. God created the Sabbath. The Bible says, Jesus is saying here, for the sake of man, not so that we'd be slaves to the Sabbath. To put it differently, Jesus intends the Sabbath to help us, not for it to master us. And, and so the, the religious rules and the perspective that the Pharisees had, is apparently it's upside down the way Jesus thought about it. So he's correcting it. He says, no, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is meant to be our helper, not our master. And I want us to see this. It's that the Sabbath is not intended simply to refresh us. It's not even simply so that we get rest or the break that we think we need. No, Jesus intends the Sabbath to be our school teacher. The Sabbath should be schooling us and teaching us about worship, about how worship involves depending on God, relying on God, trusting what God has already done, and relying on his strength instead of our own. To put it plainly, God institutes rest in order to teach us how to worship. I I think I could be fairly safe to make certain sweeping generalizations among us. Man, we neglect that. I do. As a culture, we do. There is a slim chance that you are the unique exception in this room, uh, but I doubt it. I think there's something God wants to say to us individually and as a church about Jesus being the Lord of rest because he institutes rest to teach us how to worship. We think about worshiping God in our doing, not in our ceasing to do. We think about worshiping God in terms of the things that we do for him, the things we bring him, the things we offer him. But Sabbath says something to us about him being Lord in our stopping in our trusting, in our waiting. God commands rest to teach us something fundamental about worship, that we cease from our work in order to rely on his. There's two two descriptions in scripture. I'll look at them in a little bit. But when the verse Exodus 20, verse 8, that we read before, looking at the sixth commandment, where it says, six days you'll work, but the seventh you'll rest. Let's be clear. God intends there to be seven days for worship, not one, not six. Six days of work, one of rest, but seven of worship. And so there's a place in the rhythm of the song of life that God's designed where the rest really matters. And so think with me about it musically. In a song, in music, the rests are part of the music. The rest is a note, even though you can't hear it. The rest isn't an absence of music. It's an absence of noise, but it's part of the music. And you can't play the song without paying attention to the rhythm. And the rests are important. And as God has designed, as he's written the song of your life, the rests matter to the rhythm of the song that he's written. Do you know what happens if you try to take a song and eliminate the rests? You end up with the wrong song, right? So let's take an example. Oh, when the saints go marching in, 
Oh, when the saints go marching in, how I want to be in that number. Oh, when the saints go marching in. So what happens if you take the rest out? I'm not quite sure. I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> oh, when the saints go marching in, when the saints, you know, how I would, I mean, I'm going to botch it up. As soon as I try, oh, when the saints go marching in, something in your head says, that's not right, doesn't it? So come on, let's do it right together. Help me out here. Oh, when the saints go marching in, oh, when the saints, Jessica, you're not singing, come on. How I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. Come on, Tim, I want to hear you. Oh, when the saints go marching in. Oh, when the saints go marching in, how I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. Do you hear the silent spots are just as important as the parts that we say? And in the rhythm of your life, the rests matter. They're part of how God's written it. And the silent moments, the moments of Sabbath, in your life and in my life, are meant to show us it's still worship. And that those moments are critical parts of the music that God's writing for your life. And Jesus is contradicting the Pharisees' idea of what worship is supposed to do, supposed to look like. Because the Pharisees had made worship all about the things we do for God. Do's and don'ts and rules and regulations and actions. And they'd even take it a day that God had set aside for rest and made it into one more thing that we have to do for God. Jesus points us in a different direction. Jesus says that worship isn't just, it's not even primarily about us doing things for God, but rather it's about trusting and relying on the goodness and sufficiency of what God has already done for us. How is Sabbath really worship? Well, it's this. Because God rested, he calls us into rest. That's where I said there's these two images that the Bible uses when it talks about Sabbath. In Exodus 20, the first time in the Ten Commandments that God sets it out, he links it back to creation. Say that because God rested, you also rest. And it goes like this. We rest because God made us. I come to Sabbath and I rest because I'm remembering, I'm commemorating God made me. Is anyone here that God didn't make? No, each one of us, we say, God, you made me. And when we rest, we reaffirm, he's creator, I am not. Amen? But in Deuteronomy, when Moses reiterates the law for God's people, and reestablishes the fabric and the rhythm of their obedience to God, Sabbath is brought back again. And this time in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the rationale is given a different spin. And instead of it pointing to creation, it points to God delivering his people from Egypt, the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And we see that Sabbath also remembers God's salvation. It commemorates creation, and it remembers his salvation. And so when we rest, when we worship God and rest, we are declaring again, God, you made me and God, you saved me. 
These are works of God that you and I cannot add to. We can't create ourselves. We can't make ourselves out of nothing. We can't even fashion ourselves in our mother's womb. God did that. I did not add to it. And in his salvation, that's a work of God in our lives. God has done it for us. He, just as he is the one who caused Pharaoh's heart to change, he, God is the one who opened up the Red Sea so his people could come through. God is the one who has erased our sins and brought us to himself in Christ. And so as we come to Sabbath, let's recognize that when the Bible talks about Sabbath rest and the importance of Sabbath and worship, the emphasis is not on you and I getting a break. The emphasis is not on you and I getting the physical rest that we may need. The emphasis is God word. The focus and emphasis is on who God is and what God has done. And so when Jesus says that he's the Lord of the Sabbath, he is coming and he's saying, well, he said it this way. He said, is Lord even of the Sabbath? What he's saying is, I'm really the Lord of all of it. Every part of your life. The parts that you're doing and the parts that you can't do. The things, all of your activity and your ceasing of activity. He's saying all of it is mine. And there's a second episode here I'd like to turn our attention to in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It's the next thing that happens. Mark puts these together for us so that we see them both uh, side by side to make the point together. And, and there's a couple issues in the second section that we've got to see. And I say that because my concern is that if we don't get a hold of what Mark is showing us through the next episodes, you and I can just go home and say, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I need to think more about Sabbath, but not actually change. Because it's in this next episode that Jesus starts to challenge, I think, some of where we run into trouble with Sabbath. Because the first episode, the whole business about whether harvesting some grain is or isn't allowed on any given day of the week, may not be your personal area of struggle. But watch what happens in the next episode. The Bible says, on another Sabbath, another time, he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. It's an interesting thing, because even in their effort to accuse Jesus, they're acknowledging he can do miracles. And, and so it's not just a matter of whether you believe or don't believe that Jesus is from God. It's our willingness to submit ourselves and surrender ourselves to the implications of him really being from God. And so Jesus responds, verse 3, Jesus just goes all in your face with this because he says to the man, stand up in front of everyone. That must have been an uncomfortable moment. I, I, I've had folks here in the church where I said, you know, we'd really like to pray for you here at the end of the service for healing, for what you need. And, and folks have said, that'd be great. I would love that. Just don't make me come down front or anything. And, and for Jesus to say to this guy, stand up in front of everyone, the guy's like, oh, nuts. Now I've got a bullseye painted on my chest because Jesus is pulling me into this whole dispute and accusation about who he is. But Jesus stands the guy up, and in verse 4 it says, Then Jesus asks everyone, Jesus asks them, 
which is lawful on the Sabbath? So do you see we're in the same kind of dispute that we were back in chapter 2? Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. And Jesus looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Jesus' understanding of Sabbath is this. Rest is not just for our own refreshment. Rest is not a position of selfishness. Rest is the place from which we become a blessing to others. Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? Sabbath is about giving life, not taking it. Sabbath is about being able to be a blessing to others, not just about getting a rest ourselves. It's so ironic the way Jesus says it here. So what's lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or, or to kill? And the very religious leaders then on the Sabbath go out to start plotting to kill Jesus. But that's what happens with me. Because when I move out of rest, when I get Sabbath wrong, instead of giving life to others, I really start draining it right out of them. Does that make sense? Let me explain. So uh, before I give you the example, let me say the point again. When we're out of rest, when we move out of the place of being in the right rhythm of Sabbath here, we're just not positioned to bless others. Rest is not, Sabbath is not intended to keep us from blessing others. It positions us so that we're in the right place that we can be a blessing to others. And unfortunately, it's pretty easy to see in my family when I'm out of this position of rest because I get wound so tight and I'm so task-driven and productivity-oriented that I just steal the life right out of the family. Uh, if I invited Sarah and Elizabeth up to give examples, we'd run out of time. Uh, because when I'm locked in on all the things we have to get done, I resent it if other members of my family don't seem to be working as hard as I feel like I'm working. And I steal the life right out of the family. God's intention is that we live in a place of Sabbath, that where we're in a place of his rest, and from that place, we breathe life into the people around us. We then become people who are positioned and able to bless. But when it's all about my work and our work, well, I don't have time to deal with that. There's no way that we can do these next things. How do you think we're going to fit that in right now? I've got too much else to do. And, and this, guys, it, it gets as, as real as this. Last night, I'm working on the PowerPoint presentation for this, and Elizabeth comes and suggests that since all four of us are home together, uh, this would be a great evening for us to play a game together. And my initial response was, honey, I actually, I was pretty polite about it, Elizabeth, I think, right? Not really tense as just but like, I can't do that. I've got, I've got to work on the sermon, you know, the stuff so that it's prepared for the morning. And, and the irony of it is that in the middle of preparing to talk about being in a place of rest to be able to bless others, is I, I have the ability to tunnel vision so much in on my tasks and things I do as to overlook the 
family who are right around me. So I hung up the, so, you know, the PowerPoint is kind of basic and other things. I hung it up and we enjoyed some time together as a family to be a blessing. And that's why Sabbath isn't specifically meant to be about a day. It's about a positioning of relying on the Lord that enables us to be a blessing for others. Some members of this church are at work today, including my wife. (laughs) Tim's wife is helping her aging father as well. There are ways that we work on Sunday. Sometimes we miss church because of it. It's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. But we have to be in a place of rest, relying on the Lord, not striving ourselves, if we're going to be able to be a blessing to the people around us. And for for Jesus, it's an emotional issue. I hope you saw that in verse 5. Jesus' emotions are involved in this. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He's saying when we get so focused on our do's and don'ts and allows and forbiddens and rules and regulations that we're not stopping to care about the needs of the people around us, we are not observing the Sabbath the way Jesus intends. Are you seeing that? Now, when, when we get this, when we miss the rests, in God's rhythm, we end up singing a different song. When we get out of Sabbath, when we miss uh, the place of Sabbath in our lives, instead of healing others, we harm the people around us instead. And Jesus is distressed that in the place where he is, effectively in their equivalent of church, that the people who are there are more interested in perpetuating their own routines and regulations than they are about seeing God break in and meet the needs of people among them. Now, here's what Sabbath is supposed to do, guys. Sabbath is meant to move us from our preoccupation with ourselves to a broader view that takes in the needs of others. It moves us from a preoccupation from myself to seeing that God is really my source. And that keeps me from being threatened by the needs of others. Because in the end, it's not really about me to meet other people's needs, but I can be part of how God might do it in their lives. And when we recognize that Jesus is the Lord of rest, we can move from worry into trust. And when we trust and honor the Lord of the Sabbath, we're moved from focusing on our own work to focusing on his work. Let me clarify here. I want to be, I I worry a little bit even in sharing this that we'll miss the message. Because the point here is not that I'm saying, you and I, we, we just need to slow down, our lives are too busy, and we need more rest. That's not actually the emphasis I'm trying to communicate. Actually, next slide, if we could. Um, th- this happens to be a graphic from the Centers for Disease Control that shows that this little county where we live, can you find Lake County up here, right at the bottom of Lake Michigan? Uh, it's a dark color on this map. It means that people right here where we live, ourselves, are in the highest category of sleep deprivation nationwide, uh, as they do that. That we have between 38 and 40-some percent of people here don't get as many hours of sleep a night. Adults age 18 and over, you kids may be fine. Um, But it's saying, yeah, so we're moving too fast. We get that. But that's not the point Jesus is making in this passage. So please, I don't want you to go home and say to each other, the pastor says we need to slow down and rest more. That may be true, but it's not the point 
that I'm hoping the Holy Spirit will sink in for us. Instead, my, my hope, what I've been praying for is, is that God would help us with something different because Jesus was busy. I mean, realize this. Jesus was busier than you and me. There were times when Jesus, the Bible says, he and his disciples, they couldn't even slow down to eat because there's constantly people around him with needs that he cares about that he's trying to bring. Let's go ahead and change this map because now everybody else is just watching and saying, why is Kentucky so sleep deprived? What's going on? <laughs> okay, so Andrew, let's, uh, let's take that slide off because I'm saying, I said that's not the point. <laughs> My goal is that you discover Jesus in a new way. My hope, what I've been praying for, is that God would help us get to know Jesus as the Lord, even of the Sabbath. That in areas of your life that you haven't realized are worship, would begin to worship him. That in areas of your life that you've tried so hard to stay in control, that you surrender to Jesus as Lord in a new and fresh way. I'm concerned. I mean, I'm concerned that we often don't realize that there's something inside us that resists Jesus being the Lord of rest in every area of our life. Did you see the surprising thing that happens in verse 5 and 6, really verse 6? That when Jesus began to assert his authority in the area of rest, they decided to go out and try to figure out how they could kill him and get rid of him. What is so threatening about Jesus being the Lord of rest that makes us want to kill him? Why is it that we get uncomfortable when he starts to assert his authority as Lord of the Sabbath? There's more than one reason. One important one is that rest relies on God and not on ourselves. And it deprives me of my self-credit. It deprives me of my ability to feel like I accomplished this myself because rest is not what I earn from my own work. That's one of the fallacies that I, I feel like I grew up with. My own upbringing has been rest is my reward for when I've gotten all my work done. And that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, no, God has built rest in the rhythm. And even if I haven't gotten my work done, I have to stop and rely that God's work is enough for me. And so I can't rely on myself. And I can't take credit for having gotten it all done. Instead, I have to rely on him. And there's something inside us that doesn't like that, that wants to take rest as a reward, as the badge of my accomplishment. And I don't want Jesus to take away the credit from me for that. Sabbath may also be the time that God interrupts and calls us to do good for somebody else right when I'm just wanting it to be about me getting my break and my time to stop. When I don't want to have to deal with somebody else, the Lord of the Sabbath may come and say, what's lawful? What's the right thing to do in Sabbath? Is it to do good or to be selfish? Are you seeing that? That there can be something very threatening about Jesus asserting his authority as Lord of the Sabbath because it means he's got the right to break into my time and my leisure and my relaxation and to say, no, no, if you're going to worship me in everything, that has to belong to me also. 
These religious leaders of Jesus' time had made Sabbath into something that even God himself was not allowed to interrupt. Can't do that. He's Lord even of the Sabbath for us. Sabbath can be uncomfortable for us because Sabbath can also represent these times in our lives where we feel like nothing is going on. Nothing's happening. And we're stuck waiting for things that we wish that we could fix or change or transform. It just seems like we can't. And he's Lord even of those seasons of waiting, those times where it seems like nothing is going on. And you and I are tempted to take it into our own hands and to make something happen somehow instead of relying on him. So we want to kill the Lord of the Sabbath to put us out of the misery of our waiting and our helplessness. But he's calling us to learn to worship in the waiting, to be willing to worship in the silence, in the, in the time that feels like there's just nothing going on instead. And there's something in us, the Bible calls it the flesh. And the Bible, when it says it's not talking about the meat, it's not the part of the cow that you put on the grill. Uh, it is something that is invisible. It's not tangibly physical, but is on the inside of us. And, and the word flesh is used to show a contrast with spirit. And so it's not talking about proteins or, or other physical components, but it's the part of us that resists and opposes what God's spirit wants to do in our lives. And that's the, what I mean when I say flesh here. There is something in our flesh that is opposed to genuine rest, to God's idea of Sabbath. And it's got a counterfeit. The, the flesh comes up with a counterfeit. God's genuine idea is Sabbath rest. And what our, our flesh comes up with as a counterfeit substitute is called leisure, which is a euphemism for sloth. How do you tell the difference? I mean, how do I tell the difference between a genuine rest that's from God, that is his blessing and that is worship, and my self-constructed substitutes uh, of, of leisure that are rooted in sloth instead? It's kind of an important question, really, isn't it? And, and there's a, a couple of pointers that can help you distinguish that. One is what Jesus already showed us in the first part of chapter 3 that genuine rest does good. It's not selfish. If my illusion of, if my idea of rest is primarily selfish and about me, it's not God's kind of rest. It's a human counterfeit kind of rest. Does that make sense? Uh, the other is, uh, so that's, well, here's the two, uh, the two main differences between genuine Sabbath and sloth, between genuine rest and a human-made counterfeit. Uh, one is that sloth is just indulging self. That's the fundamental difference. It's just indulging self. So I don't want to care about others, and God's not really in the mix for me. I check out from the Lord to get my time with myself, and I don't want other people to interrupt it. That's the human counterfeit. You know, so many folks, when they're stressed, you'll find it in coworkers, people you talk, man, I really need a vacation. We have just got to get away. Have you ever heard somebody say that? We say it ourselves sometimes. But then you come back from your vacation and you're more worn out and stressed than you were before you left. And they come, they come, back, to, come back to work, you're like, I need a vacation for my vacation now. Right? And it's because there's, the human counterfeit doesn't produce the rest that God has in mind. Genuine refreshing comes from the Lord. And what Sabbath does is it invites us 
into God's own rest. God instituted the Sabbath for us to help us based on his own example. Uh, At the end of Genesis 1, at the end of that creation account, we find at the beginning of chapter 2 that God rested from all his work, having declared it very good. And for you and me, there is the reality of rest. There's something refreshing in our spirits when we are affirming the goodness of God's created work and that there's nothing more that we need to add to it or even can add to it beyond what God has done. To say it this way about Jesus, the Lord of the cross is the Lord of the Sabbath. That's it good? The Lord of the cross is the Lord of the... Okay, we're getting there. The Lord of the... Is the Lord of the... Don't disconnect these because they are so genuinely connected. Jesus has not only done the work of creation, he's done the work of salvation. Jesus has delivered us from slavery to sin. And by making peace with God for us through the cross, his own life, his bloodshed, he has rescued us from the impossibility of trying to earn our own approval or righteousness before God. And when we surrender to Jesus, what we're doing is we are ceasing from our own efforts to get God to approve of us. We are relying on what Jesus has already done at the cross. And Sabbath points us away from our own working to the work that Jesus has already done as we trust that God's work of salvation is enough for us. The Sabbath points not just back to the cross. It points forward for us to the completion of all things. That just as God rested from all of his work, having declared it very good, that there still remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And that Sabbath, this idea of rest, it's the anchor that is hooked for us in heaven. Because the Lord of the Sabbath is also the Lord of eternity, of the very perfect rest of God, of which the best rest that we experience here on earth is just a dim reflection of. And you know, eternity is threatening to people who are trying to preserve their position and their power here in this day and age. It's a threatening thing. And everything around us in our culture presses against us to take the counterfeit instead of the reality. Uh, Our technological devices don't want us ever to be shut off or even to be silent. This phone of mine, we recently replaced one of our cars and I love having a hands-free way to take and receive phone calls in the car. But I get in the, I turn the car on, and it sends a notification to my phone, and the thing starts playing music. All of a sudden, I didn't ask it to do that. As soon as it's turned on, it starts playing music. The other, other morning when it was frosty, I went out, I, I started up the car, I needed to move the, the garbage cans out to the road. I come back, and the car is rocking with music because it connected to my wife's phone inside the house told her phone to start playing, and it's blasting it out of the speakers. And we've got to recognize that there is a counterfeit that aims to entertain us, promises us leisure, but it is not even a dim reflection of heaven. Don't be afraid of the Sabbath rest, the pause, the wait, the, even the silences, the times where you feel helpless and like you can't do anything that calls you and points you into eternity. Don't be afraid of the fact that this life is really just a moment in eternity. 
and that there is something much greater, much longer going uh, up ahead. Don't run from, don't drown out the silence of rest. Don't run away from, don't be threatened by the things that remind you that God made you and that he saved you and that it's his work and not your own that is truly lasting and what truly matters. And so as we pray this morning, and I believe we're going to share communion together, um, I want to urge you to discover the Lord of rest, the Lord of Sabbath in a new way, to say to Jesus, okay, Jesus, your Lord, even in these areas of my life as well. As we do that, take these things to heart. To say, Lord, I want to learn to worship in ceasing from my own work. Lord, I want to learn to worship what I'm not doing as well as what I'm doing. So ask him, say, Lord, teach me to worship in rest. And ask him, as we're going to pause and pray together. I'll, I'll lead us in prayer. Ask him to teach you to rely on what he's done rather than your own work. It doesn't come naturally to us, but to rely on him. Thirdly, say, Lord, help me be positioned to be a blessing to others by being in rest. And finally, say, God, help me not to be threatened by you being the Lord of the silence, of the stopping, of the waiting. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, give us, give us something new here, we ask. God, I believe that for many of us, the, the idea of Sabbath, the way that you've taught or, or brought up this issue of you being Lord of rest isn't brand new, but that you're bringing it back around for many of us because you want to work something in deeper, God, because maybe we saw it or embraced it at one stage of our life, but we've let uh, kids growing or challenges of work or other stuff move us out of the place that you want us to be in. Lord, we ask for your help this morning. Lord, help us to come back to these realities. Teach us, Lord, to worship in ceasing from our own working and to worship you in rest as Lord of Sabbath. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Teach us, Lord. Lead us into what it is to rely on you, God, in all things, every day, God, in our activity and in our helplessness. Lord, I pray that you would, God, make us a blessing, people who breathe life from being properly positioned in a place of rest. And Lord, forgive us where your lordship in these things threatens us. God, we don't want to be people who are looking for ways to kill you or get rid of you when you assert your authority in these areas. God, help us to rely on you and to trust you in the place of silence, the place of waiting, God, in the place where we don't get any credit and it seems like things aren't changing, Lord. Lord, we believe and know that you made us, that you are the author of our salvation, God. And so we lift our eyes to look to you as the completer, Lord, the one who has worked it all. Lord, we thank you for the day that the bread and the cup point towards. Lord, the very day of completion, Lord, Lord, where we see the restoration of all things. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.